I want to begin this morning by telling you a story. It's a creation story. And this particular creation story is Cherokee in its origin. So, here's the story. The earth began as nothing but water and darkness, and all the animals were above the stone vault that makes up the sky. Eventually, it became so crowded in the sky that the animals needed more room, and they wanted to move down to earth. Not knowing what was below the water on earth, they sent down the water beetle to explore. The water beetle dove below the water and eventually came back with some mud from above, from the earth. And that mud grew and grew, and finally it became an island that we call Earth. The island of the earth is suspended at its four corners from ropes that hang down from the sky. And legend has it that someday the ropes will break and the earth will sink back into the water. Because it grew from mud, the new earth was very soft. Many of the birds flew down to explore the new land, but it was too wet for them to stay. Finally, buzzard flew down, hoping it was dry, but the earth was still wet. Buzzards searched and searched, especially in the Cherokee country. And finally, he became so tired that his wings flapped against the ground and his wings dug valleys where they hit the ground and turned up mountains where they pulled away, leaving the rugged country of the Cherokee. So eventually the earth was dry and the animals moved down. There was still no light, however, so the animals set the sun in the sky passing from east to west, just over their heads. With the sun so close, many of the animals were burned giving the red crawfish its crimson color. So the animals raised the sun again and again until it was high enough that all could survive. Then humans came after the animals. At first, the humans multiplied rapidly, and the first woman gave birth every seven days. Eventually, there were so many of them that it seemed like they might not all survive. And since then to this day, each woman has been able to have just one child per year. After this, the story goes into the specifics then of what happened to the children that are born and the adventures that they have and how they discovered and invented all kinds of things. And I'm gonna stop, but it's, it's, it's a fascinating story. It's a story that tells us where the earth came from. It's a creation story. And of course, there are many such stories in the world. This one, by the way, has some interesting parallels with uh, the Genesis story. It has a flood. It has a bird that comes down and looks for a place to land. There are motifs that occur in these stories over and over again. There are probably hundreds of creation stories on Earth, possibly even thousands, I, I, I don't know for sure. And mostly we find these stories charming, but we don't view them as being literally true. And if some tradition insists that the story is literally true, 
then we have a problem with that. And actually, we have that problem right now in our world that, that some people in, insist that the Genesis story is literally true. So that's a real problem with real effects, and the eventual solution will be, I think, that one of these days, those folks will need to let that idea go, that it's literally true. And when that finally happens, I think one of the effects will be that the story will become much more interesting. It'll be a more fascinating story, because then we'll look at it fresh, kind of like the way we look at the Cherokee story, and we'll say, well, what did that mean? What does that mean about our existence? All of these creation stories are interesting in that they tell us something about ourselves and about how we experience the world, this world that is given to us. We, we didn't create this world. We got born and we were in it. No one consulted us about the specifications. So taken all together, I think that one of the messages of the creation stories that is in the Genesis story and it's in the Cherokee story and lots of others is that the world we live in is a creative place. Now that might just seem too obvious to even mention, but it's a significant statement. The universe is a creative place. It creates things all over the place. Galaxies, planets, moons, asteroids, mountains, rivers, ants, water beetles, giraffes, viruses, chimpanzees, snakes, people, all kinds of stuff. Supernovas. It just goes on and on. The universe is a creative place. So would that mean necessarily that there's a creator implied in all this creating? I don't think that the creativity necessarily implies a creator. Not necessarily a creator that's sort of a separate being, separate from everything else. But I do think we can be confident calling the universe a creative place. I, I think that's close to being self-evident. To say that there is a creator is to personify the, the underlying creativity of the universe, which is there. And this personification is a very, very common thing for human beings to do. We do this all the time. But it doesn't make these personifications literally true. Neither does it prove that they're not true either. I remember working in a computer department uh, at the Chicago Tribune, and we had our big old-fashioned computer system with an operating system called DOS. It's about 4,000 years ago, <laughs> before the flood, I think. And the people in that computer department referred to the operating system as she. She didn't like that one. She's not going to let me do that. Oh, she liked that one. So we do this all the time. This is part of the way we look at the world. 
In our reenactment of the debate between Clarence Darrow and George Foster that, that uh, we had the reenactment about three or four weeks ago, but the debate took place a hundred years ago in our church between Clarence Darrow and George Foster, this whole debate about whether life is worth living and whether we should be optimistic or pessimistic about life. And so in my last sermon, I, I really tried to take that question in a slightly different direction, asking if life had any meaning or not. And what I proposed, and even two weeks later, I still believe it's true, is that there are certain sources of meaning that we can draw on that are in the world. And I proposed that four of them were beauty, truth, justice, and love. And of course, I didn't invent this list. People have extolled these dimensions of life for centuries and probably millennia. But these four are really powerful sources of meaning. We are all moved by beauty at different times, probably in different forms, but we are moved by beauty. We care about the truth, although the value of truth right now is being seriously challenged in our society, and we're forced to face the possibility of what is a world without any idea of truth. And most of us don't think that's a good place to go. So it just shows how powerful and how important the idea of truth is to us. We all have an intuitive sense of justice. We all know that mass shootings are deeply wrong and unjust, unless our minds are really distorted in some way. And we all want love and seek it in diverse and meaningful ways. So these are sources of meaning in our lives. And we did not create these. They're, they're woven into the fabric of life itself. And all of these, by the way, can be studied in a scientific, scientific evolutionary way, how these develop, if, if, if you want to go down that path. Some fascinating books about that. So what I would like to say this morning is that creativity is also a source of meaning in our lives. So I'm proposing to add that one. And again, it is not something that we made, but it's inherent in the universe itself as a dimension of life. The universe is a creative place. It's just happening all over the place. And so I think that is a source of meaning, a value of inspiration for us. It doesn't mean that everybody has to play an instrument or paint or learn interpretive dance. It just means that if we can find ways to include different forms of creativity and honor creativity in our lives, it will, it will probably feel good and it will bring us a sense of satisfaction. It could be through gardening or designing websites or organizing family reunions or political rallies, or being a mentor, or keeping a journal, or cooking. There's thousands of ways that creativity gets expressed. All of these ways involve arranging elements in a way that something new happens. We human beings love novelty, and indeed, 
there's a, there's a group of theologians, uh, the process theologians, who say that the universe itself loves novelty. Now, that may edge over into personification, so maybe you don't want to go there, but that's a way of looking at things. It's almost irresistible to do that personification thing, by the way. And no one should think that they don't do it, because pretty much everybody does. It's a very human thing to do to treat dimensions of life as if they were like people. Even all the rational scientific people do this. As a matter of fact, one of my hobbies is listening to sort of science-oriented people talk and try to uh, observe every time they do personification. I don't know that it's a great hobby, but it's, <laughs> I gotta do something, you know. <laughs> all right, can't write sermons all day long, I'll tell you. So I actually think it works better if we put the emphasis on creativity and not necessarily on a creator. Although those of you who, for whom that's reality, that's great, that works. But we can just look at the creativity even without reference to a specific creator. We might agree or disagree over whether a creator exists, but almost everyone agrees that creativity is real and we're surrounded by it all the time, 100% of every day and night. So creativity is that which opens up new possibilities, which shows us that we can look at a problem in a different way, that we are not trapped in the same pattern forever. There is a way out. There's a way forward. It shows us that we can see something that no one has seen before. That life has more possibilities than what we have thought of so far. There's a famous line in Hamlet where Hamlet's best friend, Horatio, says to him, there is more in heaven and earth than is dreamt of in your philosophy. There's more possibilities that we haven't yet uncovered. When we put the emphasis on creativity, on what might be possible, rather than necessarily on whether there's a creator, it has the possibility to unite people in new innovative ways to respond to challenges. So for example, right now our culture really is calling out for some collective creativity to solve very difficult problems at this moment in history. The problems of health care, of immigration, of racial and religious discrimination, the problem of climate change, which needs a huge amount of collective creativity to be worked with in a productive way. The challenge of the increasing threat of war. These are serious, serious problems. You know, in the myth it says that, that uh, Earth is hung up on ropes and it could drop. And, I mean, this, that's expressing that same kind of anxiety that there are serious problems that need to be addressed. And so if we're going to be successful at that, we need new options. And indeed, these creative ideas are actually emerging. And many of them look like they're gaining ground. 
And so we need that in a various, very serious way in our world. The choral piece that we sang this morning, which is a Quaker hymn, by the way, how can I keep from singing as a Quaker hymn? One of the lines says, I hear the real though far off hymn that hails a new creation. Such a beautiful line. So listen to the word creation in this old Quaker hymn. It's not the old creation of Genesis. It's the possible creation that can occur when we move in the healing directions of beauty and truth and justice and love. It's, it's a possible creation. And the Quaker hymn says, I hear that hymn about the new, it's a far off hymn, but I can hear it. I can hear it coming. It's a possible creation, but it's not guaranteed. And we may not, of course, go in the right courses to bring that new creation about. We may fall into deeply negative patterns of behavior. That is a possibility for us. And we see evidence of that all the time. Even if we do fall into those deeply negative patterns, the earth will survive, but we, the human beings, just one of the millions of creatures to be born into this creative universe, most of which didn't survive. Most of the creatures did not survive. And so we need this creativity so that we make ourselves viable as a community that can live in peace on this beautiful planet. We still have wonderful and inspiring opportunities before us. We have all kinds of creative options to try in our world. We who live in this country are actually not in our best creative moment right now. Not the very best. We're not in the best moment. We are not accessing the sources of meaning in the best ways right now. Even this past week, we saw greed triumph over generosity and compassion and fear, fear and division triumphed over unity and mutual respect. So every moment there are these choices and as we make those individual choices, then we weave our path through the universe. But this moment that we're in right now will not last forever either because it's a changing, evolving system. Even when nights are long and cold and we may fear that life will end, the creative universe is still bringing forth new life and new possibilities all the time. The creative march will go on and on. There's another verse in the hymn, by the way, that was not in the arrangement we sang this morning, but it's in our hymn book, I believe, if you want to look it up. The other verse says, uh, I, don't, I don't have the exact words, it says that tyrants will tremble when they hear the new creation coming. 
Isn't that a powerful? Tyrants will tremble when they hear the new creation coming. So that's a powerful statement about how one could be in a situation that doesn't look good. I mean, that's the whole solstice message. That's a big part of the Christmas message, the Hanukkah message, that in a time when it looks like things are not in good shape, there's new hope, new creativity. Is all, that's what that baby is all about. It's a new possibility in the world. Tyrants will tremble. The creative advance is still an open road for us at every moment. It calls us to deck the halls and to celebrate and to be creative in a thousand ways, always searching for the path which elevates us and satisfies us most deeply, always choosing the path which leads to healing and joy. Tis the season to transform our consciousness, to get out of whatever rut we might be in, to focus on new beginnings, on rebirth, focus on the great renaissance we all desire and whose music we can hear even now. So be it for us.